now, you know, as, as areas are managing the pandemic and, and uh, allowing or relaxing restrictions and allowing the reopening uh, of the economy, certainly we have adjusted our plan uh, to take that into account. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. COVID-19 certainly has changed the conversation for 2020 and beyond. On Status Go, we've tried to bring you content related to COVID that is applicable now but also well into the future. In this episode, we are going to do the same, but perhaps with a different perspective than you may have seen. This is your host, Jeff Tun, and I am happy to present the first episode in our Status Go Partner Innovation Series, designed specifically to highlight InterVision's industry-leading partners, their organizations, their teams, and their overall technological ingenuity as we discuss various topics ranging from leadership to transformation to products and services. In this conversation, I am joined by Brad Minnis. Brad is the Vice President of Environment, Health, Safety, and Security for Juniper Networks. Juniper Networks is leading the revolution in networking. Juniper's sole mission has been to create innovative products and solutions that meet the growing demands of the connected world. Brad, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks very much, Jeff, for having me. I appreciate it a lot. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. But as we dig in, I'd love for you to share a bit about your role with our audience. They may be a little unfamiliar with the different uh, areas that are encapsulated into your title. So I think it'll be an important part of our conversation. Great. So I head up our environment, health, safety, and security uh team globally for Juniper. My role includes uh, not only ehs &S, but also crisis management, uh, business continuity, uh, and certainly I've been leading the team uh, at Juniper as we've been dealing with uh, the COVID crisis around the world. As, as you unpack some of that, I, I think what would be familiar to our audience is uh, the crisis management perhaps, but definitely the business continuity type activities. What goes into your work as far as the environment and health safety part of Juniper Networks? Sure. So uh, I manage uh, environmental compliance globally. So that's uh, all the impacts the company has on the environment from uh, the use and generation of hazardous uh, materials as you may know, we're we're a manufacturer of electronic goods, and and there are uh, certainly some hazardous processes that go into uh, how we make our products. So both internally, but also at our uh, partner companies, our manufacturing partners, uh, we uh, really deal with environmental permitting, environmental management, and protection of the environment. Uh, from a health and safety perspective, uh, on a global basis, I have a team that, that really manages uh, compliance with all the different regulations around the world, like uh, OSHA in the U.S., uh, but most countries have a framework for health and safety with regulations that we're required to comply with. Uh, more importantly, and specific to COVID, 
uh, really looking at protecting our employees. You know, uh, health and safety of our employees has been our number one priority throughout COVID. Uh, and so we've implemented a number of, of measures to ensure the safety of our workplace, but also the protection of our employees. Yeah, I mentioned at the outset that your experience, your perspective with, with COVID was different probably than most of our listeners who are focused on the technical aspects of what has gone on, the work from home and making sure that all that was uh, implemented and secure and different aspects like that. But you, because of the global nature of Juniper, it, it's kind of like a the rolling blackouts that you hear about occasionally, especially in, in California. You experienced rolling shutdowns across the globe, and you're now experiencing rolling reopening. So take us back to late 2019, early 2020, when you first started seeing this on the horizon and, and talk about some of the things that you were able to do or that you already had in place, for example. Yeah. And I'll start with, you know, planning uh, and, and planning is everything for an event like this. You know, back in the early 2000s, we had the SARS outbreak uh, in Asia. Uh, we've had uh, H5N1 bird flu. We've had MERS uh, and other potential uh, pandemics. Uh, so uh, early on uh, in 2005, Juniper built a pandemic preparedness plan to manage the, a situation just like this. And that included looking at the World Health Organization pandemic phases, uh, looking at CDC guidelines, uh, as well as our global footprint. Uh, we built a plan on how to deal with a potential pandemic, particularly in Asia, but globally as well for, for our offices. So uh, as part of building that plan, uh, we had stockpiled personal protective equipment uh, like N95 masks and gloves and hand sanitizers uh, in our facilities around the world. Uh, and so in late 2019, as we started seeing uh, the emergence of uh, the coronavirus in Wuhan, China, uh, you know, we're, we're heavily manufacturing in, in China. We have about 400 employees uh, throughout China in multiple offices. And so we were able to quickly uh, get an understanding of what was happening uh, in China and, and react very quickly to protect our employees. And that included, you know, a framework for how would we manage uh, the pandemic and, and in the different uh, phases of the pandemic, we had a number of actions in place that we were able to take early on, uh, and it's allowed us to really successfully manage through uh, the pandemic as it's rolled around the world. Now, you know, it started in China, uh, but then quickly uh, expanded throughout Asia to India, uh, then to Europe, and ultimately to the Americas. Uh, and having our a plan in place, uh, again, has, has really allowed us to react quickly uh, and to stay ahead of, you know, most government regulations uh, and, and many of the other uh, issues that have, have presented to us. You know, it shut down our manufacturing operations in China mm -hmm. uh, for several weeks. You know, they, they extended the spring festival. Uh, and and closed essentially closed everything down uh, for for an extended period of time. Um, you know, early on in the planning phase, uh, Juniper had anticipated a a, a large work from home requirement, uh, 
uh, as a result of a pandemic. And, and certainly that's what we've seen around the world. You know, we never really anticipated a global shutdown, uh, more of a, a rolling uh, series of shutdowns. Um, uh, but then, you know, it's, as March came upon us, uh, pretty much the entire world shut down. Uh, and, and so we sent uh, 95% of our employees to work from home. You know, we had, uh, we had looked at what uh, would it take from a networking perspective to enable all of our employees to work remotely. Uh, and certainly we had designed our network uh, to support that. And while it never had been fully tested when we sent 95% of our employees home in, in March, um, the network held up extremely well. And so, uh, you know, uh, being able to have people shelter in place and work from home uh, was was very effective. Now, we are a hardware company, uh, and so we've never shut down completely any of our offices. Uh, so we've always had about 5% of people uh, working in the office to keep systems running, to keep our labs up and running, to support customers uh, and so, you know, early on, uh, the framework for how we would manage a pandemic, not only from having people work from home, but how would we manage the health and safety of employees in our offices uh, became very, very important. I was going to ask if you had uh, kind of seen the future, so to speak, sitting back there in uh, January, February of it spreading. And so you, you answered that question, but as it became apparent that it was going to be global and was especially going to impact the United States, did you deviate from the plan? Did you stick with the plan? Was there anything in there that you that needed to adjust because it was going to be global? Yeah, certainly you cannot foresee everything. Uh, so, you know, while we had a framework for how we would we would manage the pandemic, certainly conditions change quite regularly, uh, almost on a daily basis. And so your ability to adapt and to adjust to uh, local uh, conditions around the world uh, has been very important. So, uh, you know, we've we kind of experienced rolling shutdowns, you know, it started in China, it expanded uh, around the world. Uh, and now, you know, as, as areas are managing the pandemic and, and certainly uh, allowing or relaxing restrictions and allowing the reopening uh, of the economy, um, certainly we have adjusted our plan uh, to take that into account. So, um, you know, when we talk about a global shutdown, then as, as restrictions start easing in certain areas around the world, uh, we have started allowing employees to come back into the office in larger numbers, uh, particularly in China. But now you're seeing uh, in Europe uh, as well, uh, as restrictions have been relaxed, uh, we have been bringing more people back uh, to the office environment. However, we are being very conservative, so uh, limiting the numbers to that which is necessary uh, and people that have to work in the office to uh, execute projects or, or again keep systems running that enables everybody else to be able to work from home yeah. uh, we've certainly been been uh, enabling that so aside from the monumental task i can't imagine how you keep track of the government regulations when it's not only national uh, regulations but 
state or province regulation and even here in the U.S. down to the county level. I live in, in Indiana and we have 92 counties and my guess is there's 92 different flavors uh, of the regulations uh, going on right now. So I can't imagine that task. But aside from that, talk to us about the decision-making process that you go through uh, and the approach you take as you begin to reopen an office, as you start to bring people back in. What are, what's that process look like? Yeah, so one of, one of the things that we did very early on is we established country emergency committees uh, in each country where we do business or where we have an office. Uh, those country emergency committees are informed by our global health and safety monitoring system. Uh, so we have resources around the world that provide uh, safety and security intelligence, uh, as well as uh, summaries of local re regulations and requirements, uh, but also understanding local conditions in the areas that we do business. So the country emergency committees were really assembled to manage the pandemic for their local countries. And that has been very valuable. Uh, having people on the ground in, in the local countries, uh, understanding what's happening and what the local situation is, but also taking into account the sentiments of our employees. What is their readiness to return to the office environment as restrictions uh, are relaxed? You know, there's, there's considerations like family care and child care. You know, one of the things we like to say is, you know, it's, it's not just employees working from home. It's employees that are forced to be at home that are managing family members, managing children. Uh, and so, uh, trying to work from home in that environment is very difficult. Um, but the, the local country emergency committees were instrumental and, and have been instrumental uh, in keeping up with what's happening in their region, uh, what is the situation for their employees, and then adjusting our management plan as, as appropriate. Are you having daily calls with this distributed team, or how are, how are you personally staying abreast of the dynamic environment that we're in right now. Yes, we've we activated our crisis team uh, back in January as I mentioned uh, when the pandemic was was uh, first emerging around the world. Uh, we had almost daily calls, you know, it was more about our supply chain uh, in the early days when the impacts were in China, you know, we have multiple manufacturing locations in China. We are a critical infrastructure manufacturer. You know, we uh, power the internet with, with our products. And, you know, as people were forced to go remote uh, on a global basis, that put a large strain on service providers like AT&T, like Verizon, you know, and many of the other ones around the world who are all our customers. Uh, and so our ability to, to build and ship product to keep the internet running uh, and, and deal with the massive increase in bandwidth uh, that, that service providers have seen uh, has been really critical to us. And so, uh, so again, you know, manufacturing was the biggest impact at first, but then as the pandemic progressed around the world, you know, obviously it's, it's impacted people in ways that we that we probably never before anticipated. Yeah. Uh, so our ability to, to keep our operations running has really enabled, uh, you know, the global continuance of, of 
uh, internet uh, commerce and people's ability to work remotely uh, in a safe fashion. Yeah, those, those of us that rely on the internet every day, we thank you for, the, for making sure that all of that is continuing to run through this time for sure. When we spoke last week, you talked a little bit about your reopening process, and and I think you described four different phases that you go through and some of the decision-making that you're doing in that. Could you walk us through those phases and where you are in that process today? Sure. So we built a return to the office plan uh, that included a phased approach to returning back. Now, you know, phase one, uh, we have never been out of phase one. So, you know, we never, again, completely shut down our offices because we've got to keep systems running that enables everybody else to be able to work. Uh, so phase one uh, called for about 5% of our employees being able to work from our, our larger facilities, our engineering, R&D, and customer uh, support facilities. Uh, and we stayed at phase one. You know, we went to phase one essentially from January in China, but then globally in, in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as uh, areas have begun to reopen, we've been aligning our phased approach with the easing of government restrictions, uh, local conditions, you know, the number of cases uh, are dropping uh, in many areas of the world, uh, and, and looking at our readiness globally to move to the next phase. So uh, phase two really looked to Uh, enable about 20% of our employees to come back into the offices. Uh, We are largely at phase two uh, around the world, uh, but that required us to implement a number of guidelines, not only to comply with uh, local government regulations, but also, uh, you know, to ensure the health and safety of, of our own employees. So, our phase two return to the office plan included a number of things like temperature checking and the you know requirement for people to wear masks and, and other personal protective equipment in the office. We're doing temperature screening at most of our locations around the world to detect people with potential symptoms and, and uh, you know, not allow people with symptoms to come into our office. We also implemented a robust training program about what it would look like for employees when they came back to the office, and we delivered that electronically through our learning management system. And that addressed things like, what are the symptoms of COVID? How can you protect yourself from COVID? Uh, health monitoring and and, uh, health certifications for employees that would come back into the office. it started there, but then it's about social distancing. So really looking at our facilities, you know, what is the appropriate number of people to bring in so we can ensure that we maintain social distancing guidelines and, you know, monitor our buildings for potential hotspots. So, if, you know, if you have too many people in a certain area of the building, uh, that might enable the spread of the virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so, yeah, so keeping, you know, our philosophy is that we didn't want to be the trailblazers of getting back into the offices. What we have done is as we have started reopening around the world, uh, we've done it very conservatively, but also uh, learning uh, as we open various facilities. You know, we've learned a lot about uh, how to manage the facilities and, and how to protect employees uh, as they've come back. So, you know, as we've opened around the world, certainly there are 
there are lessons to be learned uh, from the experience that we can employ in, in other areas around the world. The other issue is, as uh, areas have begun to reopen, there have been surges in the numbers of cases. And so we had always anticipated that even though we've moved to the next phase of reoccupancy, based on local conditions, that might require us to move back and revert back to a previous phase. And we have seen that uh, in certain areas in China just over the weekend, this weekend, you know, South Korea had a, a large surge in, in the number of cases. Uh, and so uh, we have reverted back to previous phases as we, as we gain experience and as we see what's happening in the local areas that, you know, as they do start to reopen. Those lessons learned as you do uh, the rolling back to the office have to be incredibly valuable. I think our listeners would be interested in what types of things have you implemented in your facilities, things like uh, one-way hallways or uh, reduce the number of people in conference rooms or reduce the number of people in elevators. What types of things have you put in place to help protect the employees from that regard? Yeah, so we looked at our facilities uh, holistically and, and including down to the conference room level and set maximum uh, occupancy thresholds for every area in the building. And so, you know, what previously might have been a 10 to 12 person conference room is now a four person conference room. Um, and, and, you know, the same thing in, in office environments, you know, where we might have had a, a uh, work area that held 100 employees, uh, we may only have 25 to 30 employees in those areas now, but uh, really respecting this, the uh, physical distance and, and the social distancing, which is extremely important in, in controlling or preventing the spread of the virus. Yeah. We had uh, VP of HR on the show, uh, Melanie Bergner, a few weeks ago. We were talking about uh, some employees may not be ready to come back. Are you making allowances for those who want to continue to work from home during the callback? Or what kind of things have you put in place at Juniper to take that into consideration? Yes, uh, employee sentiments and em employee considerations have, have really led our decision-making process. Uh, and again, as I mentioned, you know, people have child care issues and family care issues that, that they're dealing with, but also just concerns about potentially being exposed uh, as they do come back to the office environment. And so uh, we have conducted surveys uh, periodically to really gauge employees' readiness to return to the to the office environment, and and overwhelmingly at this time, uh, over eighty percent of our employees say they're just not ready to come back into the office environment based on you know health concerns, childcare concerns, and, and other family concerns, and and certainly our position is that we are going to be very flexible. Uh, and enable employees, you know, understanding that they have uh, issues in their personal lives uh, to deal with. We are being very flexible. Return to the office has been completely voluntary on a global basis. You know, we have not forced people back into the office, but certainly we do need uh, people in our labs and, and keeping the IT systems running. And so, uh, you know, those employees who were designated to return to the office are, are doing some heroic yeah. things just, just by showing up. Yeah. 
Um, and so, you know, again, it, it's incumbent on us to, to ensure their safety when they do return to the office. Yeah, that's a great point. The, the people that are uh, in our offices, in our businesses, are uh, putting themselves at risk and therefore are heroic in nature as they go back to, to work to keep, to keep all of our businesses running. Now, right. Juniper is a tech company. And we would be remiss if we didn't discuss technology. And I think our, our audience, I could uh, feel their ears uh, perk up a little bit to switch the topic to tech a little bit. But uh, how has it impacted or, or influenced your decisions and your process, the tech involved? Managing social distancing in our facilities uh, you know, if we do have an exposure in our facilities that requires us to understand what other employees may have come in contact with an individual that either has symptoms or reports a positive COVID test um, is critically important. Now, you know, Juniper acquired about a year ago uh, a company called Mist Systems, mm -hmm. and Mist Systems uh, is, is, you know, we call it artificial intelligence for IT, and it involves uh, wireless access points that are installed throughout uh, our facilities. And so we've fully deployed the Mist solution in our facilities, uh, but as COVID-19 emerged, um, we found an opportunity to utilize that technology to help enable us to manage social distancing in our office, to identify potential hotspots in the office, uh, and to uh, automate the process of contact tracing. Now, you know, uh, early on in the pandemic, if somebody reported symptoms in the office, it was a very manual process. You'd have to interview employees to see who might you have come in contact with and where were you in the buildings? And that relies on the memory of, of people. It relies on, you know, we use technology uh, from an access control perspective. We have, you know, video cameras uh, throughout our, our facilities, but really determining where somebody might've been in the facility, who they might've come in close contact with, uh, again, was a very manual process. It took a lot of time and, and again, relied on uh, memory of employees, which sometimes is, is not terribly accurate. Right. right. Uh, so the missed APs in the facility uh, also do location-based um, or provide location-based data. And so with the addition of a Bluetooth-enabled badge that people would carry around with their photo ID badge, uh, we are able to not only manage the building, you know, the loading of employees in our buildings uh, and identify potential hotspots and be able to, to deal with that, but if somebody uh, reports symptoms uh, in the office, we can quickly go back uh, into the system over a period of time to determine exactly where they traveled throughout the building uh, and also to determine what other individuals might have come into close contact with them while they were in the building. So, you know, what was formerly a very manual process that could take, you know, sometimes many hours or even days, right. uh, now we can instantly perform that contact tracing exercise, uh, which allows us to prioritize, you know, not only does it 
identify who might have been in close contact, but over what period of time. So it gives us a priority list of contacts based on the amount of time they may have been in contact with somebody. Uh, so that really enables us, uh, number one, to quickly notify other individuals that might have been in close contact to have them self-isolate, monitor their symptoms, uh, and, and reduce the potential of a spread uh, you know, a more widespread problem in, in the offices. Um, so the MIST solution has, has really been valuable in, in enabling us to quickly manage the loading in the building, but also to quickly conduct that contact tracing and, and identify where we might have additional risks. I think that is a, a great use case for the technology, the artificial intelligence that goes into it. And it's it's probably not one that uh, too many people, when they were looking at the product marketing, took into consideration the contact tracing for a global pandemic. But what a great use of technology. I, I just think that's uh, fascinating when you were telling the story last week. So, Brad, you know that uh, here on Status Go, we are about action. And what we would love to do is leave our listeners with one or two things that they should do tomorrow because they listen to you and I today. So what are a couple of things they could do? Yeah, so, you know, number one, again, I would caution if you're able to, to be conservative about how quickly you bring people back into the office, uh, number one, particularly if they're being effective working remotely. Uh, you know, overwhelmingly in the surveys that we've done with our employees, people say they're working harder, they're working longer hours, and they're being very effective uh, working remotely. And so flexibility, I, I think, is key. You know, key to employees' safety, but also key to their motivation. You know, people have issues they're dealing with and forcing them to come back into the office could create bigger problems for companies. Right. And so number one, flexibility. But number two, you've got to have the mechanisms in place to keep people safe while they're in the office. And so, you know, limiting touch points, enhanced cleaning, social distancing, all are extremely important. Uh, and the other thing I would say is people, particularly around the MIST uh, application, you know, while it is a valuable technology, there are significant concerns around uh, employee privacy. And so yeah. one of the things that we've done is we've issued Bluetooth beacons to employees is, uh, when we upload them into the MIST platform, the only thing the MIST platform sees is a beacon identification number. Uh, we don't put any employee personal information into the MIST platform. Uh, when we do the contact tracing, it's a, there's a very small team of individuals uh, that have access to the actual identity of the employees. Uh, that's a big deal. And, and, you know, around the world, there are various privacy rules in some countries, like in Europe, uh, they're much more strict about maintaining privacy, but also maintaining privacy of uh, people's medical conditions. You know, if somebody reports symptoms, um, you know, we don't broadcast to the to the whole company who's got COVID, or uh, because that just that just freaks people out. Yeah, frankly. yeah, 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 yeah it sure does. Uh, so privacy, you know, privacy concerns are, are a big issue and. Being transparent with employees on the use of the technology uh, is, is critically important. Yeah. 
But the other thing I would say is having the mechanisms in place and, and implementing health and safety measures to protect employees, that's got to be top of mind for tech companies or any company, any frankly. Company, yeah. Well, Brad, that is great advice. And I think it's advice that our listeners can use and grasp onto as we're all wrestling with returning back to the office, returning back to some semblance of normalcy. So thank you very much for those insights. I really want to thank you for taking the time today to talk with us. I know with uh, keeping track of this on a global basis, you have to be incredibly busy. And I appreciate you taking the time out to sit down and chat today. No, it's my pleasure and, and certainly here to help uh, in the in the larger effort, not just our company, but um, you know, collaborate. We collaborate with with other companies on what we're doing. Look at best practices, um, and and keep the discussion going. So so we try to stay ahead of the game. So thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you again to our listeners. If you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Brad Minnis. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.